Chapter 11 of the Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Jack Cannot Sleep. Well, now, boys, let's see where we stand, said Mr. Temple, after all had partaken heartily amid excited but disjointed conversation of a surprisingly good dinner of pork and beans, boiled potatoes, fresh tomatoes and lettuce, bread pudding, and coffee. He pushed back his chair as he spoke and lighted a cigar. First of all, he said, we've got to consider the kidnapping of Mr. Hampton and decide what shall be done in the matter, what moves we must make. Then there's this series of mysterious happenings, all of which have a bearing on the case, if we can find the solution. Here, for instance, is this man Remedios. Evidently he was in league with the Mexican bandits who attacked us, and it was his part of the conspiracy to stage a breakdown so that we could be attacked easily. Now, who were the bandits, and what did they want? Were they ordinary robbers, after money, or was their object something deeper? Was it part of this plot against our oil interests? He paused to puff his cigar into renewed life. All three chums had been listening with eager attention. Now Jack Hampton spoke. Mr. Temple earlier had elaborated for Jack's benefit his theory that a faction of Mexican rebels was responsible for the outrages of which they had been the victims, hoping thereby to embroil Mexico and the United States, and thus cause trouble for President Obregon. Mr. Temple, said Jack, leaning forward, I do not believe those bandits were after the money. Didn't it strike you all as strange that they were in an auto? Well, it did me. The bandits of the border usually are mounted on horseback. These men, on the contrary, had a high-powered car. No, that attack was due to a carefully laid plan. And do you know what I think their purpose was? It was to capture you. Bob and Frank, elbows planted on the table, leaned forward, surprised. Mr. Temple, however, showed no surprise, but merely looked thoughtful. You see, continued Jack, you are an American of wealth and position. They already have captured father. Now, if they were to capture you, there certainly would be some commotion at Washington, the national capital, that would make trouble for President Obregon of Mexico. Maybe another punitive expedition would be sent into Mexico, like General Pershing led in the time of Carranza, after Villa's raid on Columbus, New Mexico. At least that's what they expect, I guess. Mr. Temple nodded, but remained silent. But Jack, demanded Frank, if you are right in your surmise, then it means that these fellows knew in advance of our coming. Yes, said Jack, that's the puzzling thing about it. Anybody here know we were coming? asked Bob, speaking for the first time. Sure, said Jack, Gabby Pete knew, and Rollins, father's assistant. But you met the one, and you know he can be trusted. As for Rollins, I don't know much about him. He's a queer, silent man. Not here tonight, because they left early this morning to see a man on business over here some twenty miles or so. He said he might not return tonight, but I know Father trusted him. Then, Jack, there is one other thing to be considered, said Bob. And that is, has anybody among our enemies, for I suppose we can call them that, listened in when we spoke by radio? Of course, said Jack. With all these amateur receiving sets in use nowadays, it is pretty hard to get absolute secrecy. But in the first place, since that Washington conference, the government has limited the use of certain wavelengths. Now we are licensed to use an 1,800-meter wavelength, and I imagine there are very few, at least in this region, who could tap our conversation. In addition, of course, we used our code in discussing when you would arrive. No, you're wrong, said Bob. 
You used the code when you telegraphed that your father was kidnapped. But as I recall it, when we spoke by radio after getting your wire, we were all so excited we never thought of the code. Frank nodded in agreement. That's right, he said. But anyhow, we never thought of making it a secret. Perhaps your cook, this Gabby Pete, said something innocently in town. Or the word got around somehow. Yes, I suppose that's the way it happened, said Jack, dismissing the subject. But the question now is, what are we going to do? Shall we telephone the county sheriff about this attack on us tonight and about remedios? And what shall we do about father? Mr. Temple, who had been puffing thoughtfully throughout this discussion, his head bowed, now looked up and shook his head in negation. Let's not notify the sheriff, he said. The moment we bring the authorities into this, we will run into danger of letting our whole story become known. Then the end which these mysterious enemies of ours seek will be attained. That is, the government will be drawn into the situation. As to your father, Jack, and Mr. Temple paused, well, we shall have to think the matter over pretty carefully before we undertake to do anything. In the first place, as I have said before, I believe he was captured in order to make trouble between Mexico and the United States. Now here comes a note from his captors demanding that we pay a ransom of one hundred thousand dollars. How does that fit into my theory? Well, if we appeal to Washington and ask our government to demand Mr. Hampton's release, there certainly will be trouble, and that, I believe, is what the enemy counts on us to do. If they really were after a ransom and had no other object in view, it is likely that they would not have asked for so big of a sum and also would not have given us two whole weeks in which to carry out their demands. No, I am convinced they expect us to go to Washington and make trouble. Therefore, that is the one thing we must try to avoid doing. But look here, Mr. Temple, said Jack impulsively, and with just the slightest quiver in his voice. He's my father. Yes, I know, Jack, Mr. Temple said in a sympathetic tone, and I know what you're thinking of. You're thinking your father is a prisoner and ill-treated, and you're saying to yourself that while we hold back here from appealing to the government, something dreadful may happen to him. Isn't that so? Jack gulped unashamedly and turned his head away. Something like that, he said in a muffled voice. The older man dropped a hand on his shoulder. Don't worry too much, my boy, he said. We may appeal to Washington and let the consequences go hang, if that is the only way to bring back your father. But we don't want to act too hastily. Let's turn in now and get a good night's sleep. Then in the morning we'll decide on something definite. It had been a long discussion, and Bob and Frank were content to do as Mr. Temple proposed. Jack, perforce, agreed, although the strain of the last few days, which he had carried alone, was beginning to tell on him, and he yearned for instant action. He showed the others to their rooms, Bob and Mr. Temple sharing Mr. Hampton's room, and Frank bunking in with Jack himself. After Frank had undressed and tumbled into bed so dog-tired, as he said, that he could barely keep his eyes open to see the way to his pillow, Jack went out to stand in the starlight on the porch. After leaning against a pillar some minutes, during which his active brain kept milling endlessly over the details of the past few days, he had an impulse to go over to the radiophone station and talk to the guard, an ex-cowboy, on duty there since the attack by the three Mexicans at the time the story opened hands in pockets head bowed in thought he moved across the hard-packed sand his feet making practically no sound end of chapter eleven